This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. What's the focus on BFM 89.9, the business station? It is 9.37 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar with Keith Kam. And this is WTF, or What's the Focus? Our weekly roundup show of the top stories this week, as well as any other news nuggets that you may have missed. It has been an abbreviated week because we did have a public holiday on Thursday for Thai Pusam. Uh, were you watching any of the festivities uh, on Thursday, Keith, on Wednesday and Thursday? I actually was uh, where I live. Uh, I live in the central area, which is like the hub for when uh, the procession for the the, the uh, Lord Murugan's chariot uh, moves from uh, Chinatown in KL all the way to Batu Caves. So it passes by my street. Oh wow! Yeah, it was it, it was festive. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I'm just like really happy that there's a lot of uh, food uh, that's being <laughs> sold on the on, on the on the on the streets. Uh, a lot of Indian traders set up uh, stalls selling. Uh, these little um, Indian milk candy, which I totally, totally love. Excellent. <laughs> I saw photos of Batu Caves uh, during the festivities. It really looks uh, super vibrant. I think that's really nice to see after the many years of uh, the pandemic lockdowns. Um, and I think this is going to be the first or is going to be the last uh, festivities where the only way up to the temple is using the staircase. I understand that after uh, Taipusam, they are going to start a construction of an escalator at the temple. And this is a little bit of information that I didn't realize that uh, in the 70s, there was actually a, a tram that used to take uh, uh, people up to the caves. Really? Itself. Yes. And um, if you, I, I saw pictures of the, 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 the tram and it was just quite fascinating. So you have the staircase, uh, not the rainbow colored ones that we are seeing today, but on the left of the staircase it's it's a it's a tram that that sort of resembles the penang hill tram and it's just charming it really is charming i i hope they bring something like that back rather than an escalator We'll have to wait and see, right? I was a bit like, okay, escalator. I understand that they're not going to do it at the main staircase. It will be at a, sep- a yeah, separate it section, be at side, yeah. which would at least help to preserve just the look of Batu Caves at the moment, right? Uh, but okay, let's turn our attention to some of the other stories that uh, have been dominating our attention this week. Now, the U.S. labor market has been resilient throughout 2023 amid concerns of a recession. But you know, Keith, this trend doesn't really apply to the news media industry because this month alone, there have been a series of layoffs at big name publications such as the LA Times and the Washington Post. I think news coming out of Sports Illustrated, that uh, venerable uh, title masthead of uh, sports journalism, they are also going through layoffs, uh, not to mention news portal Pitchfork uh, is being subsumed under the men's magazine GQ. I think we're seeing the media landscape becoming increasingly small and the question is, who is losing out? But that's the thing, isn't it, Shazana? I mean, I do see a lot of uh, news portals. Uh, the Guardian The Guardian at, the, at, this, at this point in time is still free, but they do encourage you to uh, give a certain form of donation to help them uh, keep up with costs but uh, uh, publications like South China Morning Post even the New York Times they require they have a paywall where you actually have to subscribe and pay a a certain amount to to ensure that I don't know maybe to ensure that they survive or to ensure the uh, the journal the profession of journalism uh, still continues to thrive but there we have it I mean uh, the economy is such that 
costs do go up. That is just the reality of it. It makes me think about why some publications have managed to survive. Like you see uh, publications like the New York Times, right? They put up a paywall relatively mm-hmm. early, but they have somehow managed to leverage on, on their brand, I think on the type of news or the viewpoints that they put forth. And they've managed to keep their readership uh, fairly stable. Uh, but others don't seem to be that successful, right? When you look at the things like the Washington Times or the LA Times, they too have paywalls, but they haven't really been able to build that community uh, that can build them up. And it makes me think about why they did this. Is it because news essentially is becoming more partisan as well? Because when you think of the New York Times, I think anyone who sees that will have a kind of perception that, okay, they are representing a particular point of view or they're, you know, even as much as they claim to be neutral. Mm. But uh, I think uh, these partisan concerns uh, do seem to come into their reporting or at least the perceptions of how they're reporting on stuff. But that's that's just it as well. I mean, uh, if you do have a paywall and if readers were to uh, were to subscribe to to, to uh, your publication, shouldn't that uh, make you want to ensure that whatever news you put out uh, actually resonates with the readers rather than uh, whoever that's paying your salary? It is a bit of a conundrum, no? Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, what is affecting how media organizations decide what's what their editorial stance is going to be. Yeah, but that's not really uh, unique to other countries. I mean, we've seen that happen in Malaysia as well with uh, certain news um, organisations that are aligned to political parties or aligned to a political organisation. And, and, and the, the, the type of stories and the type of um, uh, editorial that they put out, it's you can tell it's, uh, it's, it's skewed in a certain way. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to think about what this means for the profession of journalism moving forward. Uh, If the landscape, if the employment prospects are getting a lot uh, thinner, Mm -hmm. who will be able to join? Who who will be left out? And what kind of viewpoints are going to be represented? I I wonder if the proposed Malaysian Media Council that's uh, supposed Supposed to supposed to be brought up at the day one rakyat. Uh, I wonder if that might solve some of the problems. Might 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 be able to address some of these issues uh, uh, going forward. But yeah, I mean, it really is journalism. Really is important that it needs to be something uh, of a neutral stance because as far as we are concerned, we journalists we put out the stories for you, for for you guys to to listen and we try uh, our, our level best not to use adverbs and adjectives. Uh, give you the information. You, you are the you as a listener or you as the reader. You decide. You make your own opinion about what inf- what uh, the information uh, that's given to you, what it brings to you. All right, let's turn our attention to uh, another piece of news that has been dominating uh, this news cycle over the past month, and that really has to do with aviation safety. And, you know, no no qualms about it. Boeing hasn't had a good start to the year after a door blew out on an Alaska Airlines flight this month, grounded over 170 of their 737 MAX 9 jets. Uh, so some good news for Boeing. This week, the U.S. aviation regulator, the FAA, said that 737 MAX jets uh, are cleared for service once inspections have been completed but they are not allowed to resume production of these jets so, so it, they're still on a quandary good news bad news thing lah. Uh, it's been nearly three weeks after that door plug incident blew out during an alaska airlines flight where thankfully no one was uh injured there was no no uh untoward incident to a point where even saturday night live can actually make fun of it so i guess you know that's one way of looking at it but the faa says it definitely won't be back to business as usual for 
for Boeing until they are satisfied that the quality control issues uncovered during this process are, are, are resolved. Um, airlines are, that, that are also awaiting are also awaiting approval to review their fleets to return to service, and they include United Airlines and Alaska Airlines, which are the two U.S. airlines, the two biggest U.S. airlines that use that particular model. But yeah, at the end of the day, Shazana, I mean, when you think about it, it's not so much the, it really, the reputational damage that's being done to Boeing, uh, it's definitely going to cost them a lot more going forward. I was hearing, I think it was from our news bulletins, but they were mentioning how some uh, flight uh, tracker platforms, was it Expedia or was it some other booking platforms, they actually have filters for uh, customers to choose whether to find out whether or not the flight that they want to take is being flown on a 737 MAX 9 or, or whatnot. So I think, and they've seen an uptick in the use of that filter. People mm. are concerned about the uh passenger aircraft that's taking them to the skies. Uh, so I don't know how long this uh, sentiment is going to hang over Boeing, right? Because like you said, uh, once you once people are disturbed about it, uh, that could last for quite some time and, and linger over the market prospects. And, and it's been like that since uh, October 2018 when, you know, you remember the Lion Air crash and a few months after that, it was the Ethiopian Air and there was a Boeing uh, 737 MAX 8 plane at that time. Um, it was their response to it that was most uh, disturbing, I found, because after those two crashes, uh, Boeing still kept insisting that their planes were uh, safe to fly. And it was after a lot of backlash from, from uh, customers, passengers, and even airlines uh, that they finally decided to ground the planes, only to find that, yeah, that really, there really was a common problem between those two crashes. And it's going to take them a long, long time to repair this current damage, this this current reputational damage. Yeah, the Boeing CEO Dave Calhoun was um, at Washington. I think he was at Congress this week uh, to testify uh, before lawmakers, and I think he was trying to. Uh, persuade them or convince them that uh, we are taking the safety measures needed to ensure that our aircraft is safe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you you have this kind of track record. Uh, it doesn't really lend a lot of confidence. You know, there's always been traditionally a duopoly between Airbus and uh, Boeing. Airbus being based in, in Europe. Uh, with what's happening now, Airbus is set, set to leave uh, Boeing eating its jet fuel. Uh, also, don't forget China is getting in on this business too. It's uh, it recently launched its C nine one nine passenger plane. Um, I, I I want to bring this Warren Buffett quote, which I read. I thought it was like quite poignant. This point: uh, it takes twenty years to build a reputation and five minutes to ruin it. So if you think about that, you would do things differently. All right, let's uh, <laughs> ponder on those wise words from Warren Buffett. It's eight foot nine forty eight a.m. We're going to head into some messages, but we'll come back with a look at more stories from the week. Stay tuned. BFM eighty nine point nine. 9.49 a.m. You are listening to The Morning Run with Shazana and Keith. This is WTF, or What's the Focus, our weekly recap show. Uh, we're going to take a look at some of the top stories, or some of the, not, even if not top, stories that have caught our attention at least and uh, left us, got us thinking a little bit about what uh, what's, hap- what's going to happen next. And for me, one of this is definitely related to comments made by the Prime Minister, Dr. Sri Anwar Ibrahim, at the beginning of the week in relation to higher 
higher education because uh, at uh, during a speech that he gave at University of Malaya, he spoke about how the Ministry of Higher Education needs to end um, old bureaucratic practices and how they oversee uh, public universities, really calling for public universities to be given more independence and autonomies to set their own priorities uh, and decide how to run their institutions. And I thought that was such an interesting comment. And it uh, I'm really wondering whether we are going to see um, public universities evolve in that in that manner. Yeah, uh, I think what was really what really caught my eye about this story uh, was on one of the newspapers that 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 covered this story when it came out on Tuesday, I think. Uh, it, it highlighted the fact that uh, Dato Sri Anwar said Malaysia's education was one of the worst, based on PISA scores, was one of the worst uh, in, in, in ASEAN. Uh, he went on to say that, you know, it was because of our failure with... Uh, our failure is our obsession with past successes and uh, our 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 uh, we keep using the, the excuse of COVID-19, but countries like Laos, Cambodia and Indonesia seem to be leapfrogging us uh, as, 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 as time goes along. So it really is time to start reflecting on where we can improve what we have been doing wrong. So we did speak to Dr. Sharifa Munira Al-Atas, Deputy Chair of Gura, on the government's reforms that she's hoping to see in higher education. You can listen to that conversation on the BFM app or the website. But she gave some context into how public universities are run. She spoke about the micromanagement that sometimes occurs um, and also the fact that uh, the KPIs that are set sometimes seem very bogged down, very focused on, um, how to say, rankings uh, without really looking at perhaps the quality of the outcomes. Um, so these are some of the uh, reforms that I hope to see uh, happen that could improve the public university landscape. And this is just for higher education. Yeah, when mm-hmm. we talk about uh, when we talk about lower education, I mean primary education. That's another ball, f- another level, another field entirely. Well, he did highlight that they did spend uh, one billion ringgit to refurbish school toilets. So I guess that's a start somewhere. <laughs> Okay, let us uh, maybe end with some reflections on how cost of living pressures are being reported in the headlines and the types of news coming out in relation to this. Yeah, um, we did see figures coming out from the uh, stats department uh, earlier this week that inflation had remained at 1.5% for December 2023. This means annually it's at 2.5% for the, for 2023, the whole year, compared to 3.3% in 2022. Uh, this is also slightly below historical averages. So now the thing is, we do see that uh, inflation numbers are improving Um it should translate into you know more affordable goods or well not say more affordable goods but uh, the 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 price rises might not be as quickly as uh, as previously but is that something that's being translated uh, into um, into reality right now I think obviously not really <laughs> and yeah. we've had this conversation um, uh, for a while now right the fact uh, yeah. is that uh, inflation numbers don't tend don't tend to mirror the actual perception or realities of the ground. And it's not just here. We see that in the U.S. as well, where we see inflation going down, but yet people still have the sense that the economy isn't doing well, even though by objective metrics, uh, it it is. So uh, there is that disconnect between um, 
figures and sentiment. And in the run-up to Chinese New Year, which is just about uh, two weeks away, just yeah, just on, uh, just a little bit more than two weeks away, it's very interesting to note uh, to to see to listen to our, our listeners and see whether they are experiencing that 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 rise in prices when you go buy your Chinese New Year cookies and your mandarin oranges and your uh, kueh bakul and, and and whatnot. Are they more expensive this year compared to the previous year? I would say that they are because first of all, don't forget the ringgit is at uh, one of its weakest levels ever. Uh, so whatever we import, and most of these mandarin oranges are, are imported from overseas, so those prices are going to go up as well. Uh, not to mention the the butter that you use to make your, your cookies, that's also going to add to the cost of uh, all these things going up. But does that change your attitude in what you're going to be spending on for Chinese New Year? That's something very interesting to, to, to look at. Because when you think about it, the malls are all full. The people are out and about and they're doing their shopping. Uh, but how has that changed what they spend on, as you said, Keith? So I think those types of uh, metrics or those type of trends are only going to be known uh, in the aftermath of the festivities, yeah? I hate to be the bearer of bad news as well, but 2024 is the year where we see uh, taxes going up. Uh, the service tax is set to go up from 6% to 8% in March. And this is applicable to all taxable services, except for FNB, of course. And don't forget the low value goods tax as well. Thanks, Keith. Thanks. So as we <laughs> head out into the weekend, you are giving a reminder to everyone to just be mindful of your spending and keep track of uh, where your money goes to. It is 9.55 in the morning. That's all the time we have for WTF. Today, we have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin coming up next, and then it's over to Enterprise. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, Download the VFM app.